Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. This is Magda, and today with us on Her Stories, we have Adita Tahiri. Adita is former Deputy Prime Minister of Kosovo and also Chair of the Regional Women's Lobby in Southeastern Europe. Welcome, Adita. Thank you, Magda. Thank you for having me here. Adita, it's good to speak with you again. You have quite a big CV and a a CV with a lot of achievements. I think I prefer if you introduce yourself to the listeners. Who is Adita? Well, uh, my CV relates to the history of my people, the history of Kosovo in past 30 years. In the times when we entered the processes of disintegration of former Yugoslavia and also changes in Europe when Eastern part also democratized and Berlin Wall fall down. I have been involved in uh, the movement for independence of Kosovo as one of the founders and key leaders of the movement and was foreign minister for 10 years of occupation period. In my efforts to internationalize and garner support for freedom and independence. And in these processes, I also have been part of the peace processes. And I was a part of formal negotiations, perhaps the only woman in the Balkans. Yes, I think you are. Is Magda. Unfortunately, even now, after 30 years, we don't see much woman participating or included in the formal peace processes. Maybe the area when we are mostly discriminated. I participated in the, the very important peace process, which brought peace to Kosovo. So uh, it was the Rambouye International Peace Conference on Kosovo, led by United States and European partners. I think it was most challenging for me because uh, it was a very important mission on the ground. People were being killed and oppressed. On the other hand, you are in the table Mm. with enemy trying to find a peaceful solution. This was the end of the 20th, last decade of the 20th century, which was a exactly. very a very bloody period for that the Balkans. Exactly. It was a very because bloody were, and fluid period yeah, for the Balkans. There were wars not only in Kosovo, but also Bosnia, Herzegovina mm. and Croatia, done by at that time of regime of Milosevic mm. in Serbia, with a lot of uh, hardships up to the levels of genocide. Yes. So... It was a big responsibility to be a decision maker in the table because uh, usually peace agreements are not fulfilling always one party's uh, demands. Yes. It's kind of a compromise solution. However, uh, we were resolved and we accepted, although it brought temporary solution in terms of political status, but it brought peace and protectorate to our people Mm -hmm. and ended the war, which really 
it was too long for us Albanians. Almost all the century we have been under big oppression. I speak of Kosovo. Yes. Um, what is important to say, I think that most difficult negotiations are when you have to decide and you have to decide the peaceful solution or compromise solution. And you are between two choices, either to not decide and give your people be killed more mm -hmm. or be smart, decide. In our case, we decided for gradual, say it, uh, independence because we couldn't get independence in the Rambouillet. But then it came in 2008 mm -hmm. because uh, we got the international support for our argumentation. And then the uh, International Court of Justice also confirmed the legality of independence. And then in peace times, I was again in the peace process. I was this time chief negotiator of Kosovo in the talks with Serbia, facilitated by European Union and supported by the United States. And it is known more as a Brussels dialogue. Which started and you were the first, you were signatory of the first peace agreement, ever reached peace agreement between Kosovo and Serbia after 20 years of war. Exactly. Of peace talks. So war. I think it's a big uh, history in a sense that, uh, not that I was woman that brought that, but also because you, when you are in the peace tables, you know, you have to have capacity for negotiations, understanding. Understand the diplomacy around negotiations and be solution oriented. This is the how you can come to the agreement. So for me, it's an honor as a woman from our world of women that after 20 years of peace processes, three peace processes, I was one to be the first signing, the first ever agreement with our former enemy, Serbia. And then oh, throughout seven years, we had many other agreements. Tell me, uh, Edita, how how did they look upon you, your, the other negotiators being a woman? Did it make a difference? Because well, it's, it's not a usual uh, view to have a woman at the table. I don't know if uh, the... Last time we spoke, I mentioned this to you. Mm -hmm. Because the Balkans and the Balkan uh, wars were somehow under tendency of being hidden or forgotten, mm -hmm. this is how the world was looking to us. Because we are part of Europe, so Europe gives a perception of peace. <laughs> so very quickly, Balkan wars were forgotten hidden, maybe that politically uh, it was overshadowed. And with that, even our work as women, not only in peace processes, but also in these liberation movements throughout the Balkans have been somehow overshadowed. So I, even today, am hardly, uh, say it, recorded in the global reports for women peace negotiators or chief negotiators or as women signatory of first agreement mm -hmm. uh, with a former enemy. 
I have raised my voice for this last year in the United Nations, in the UN Women High Panel, where uh, was also the director of UN Women, Madame Gutska and others, trying to say that Balkans should not be forgotten. Women, women's work should not be undermined, but should be recognized. So to encourage more peace in the Balkans, more stability, and more women encouraged to take responsibilities of being negotiated. It's also because during that 10-year, the last 10 years of the 20th century, there was a lot of violence in the Balkans, and most of it was directed against women. I believe women and children were mostly affected in Absolutely. the wars in the Balkans. It has gone also to the high scale of rape of women during the war is, uh, is one of the big tragedy, which unfortunately is still not addressed by international justice. If I may share with you, uh, the regional women's lobby in its program has also transitional justice. Mm-hmm. And we have been constantly lobbying at all levels, including the UN, to try to look at this issue and to issue an official report on what has happened in Kosovo, Bosnia, and Croatia by seeing that there were not moves. Then I have gone to New York and uh, met with Deputy Secretary General, Madam Pamela Patten, Mm -hmm. who is in charge of the war rape against women in the wars in the world, and I talked to her, but also presented a a letter from lobby to Secretary General of UN, calling for international justice and calling for UN to move as a first step to prepare official report. Because to move on with other steps of justice, official report creates good uh, legitimacy and ground Mm. to move on. Imagine 20 years after, uh, perpetrators are free, unpunished. Women's uh, victims, they say stability, their uh, psychological situation, their honor is not yet restored. No. And we had a campaign that all over the Balkans, but also in Kosovo, with saying that we are all you, we present you. If one woman is raped, meaning all women are mm. raped, the, this has helped them. I also organized a popular petition in Kosovo that I also delivered last year in UN for Secretary General. What kind of petition? I organized in every municipality petition. We formed the women's group. Mm-hmm. And the petition was to raise the voice of entire citizens for the justice for the victims of rape. I think, first of all, this breaks the taboo of not accepting of not this phenomena yes. because of this so-called men honor, you know, in the Balkans. And can you imagine that majority of those who signed were men. Wow. I believe. Yeah, majority were men. 
they were showing up in these uh, points of signing. I believe when I met them, uh, some of the uh, Roman victims, they were so, I would say, inspired, feeling better, feeling accepted, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, this also helped the world to once again listen that genocide, rape, other hostilities cannot be forgotten because if they are forgotten, this is second tragedy. And, you know, it's like when you forget history, it, it risks to Come be repeated. I remember, Edita, I was invited to a conference in Sarajevo about four years ago on reparations for victims of sexual violence in conflict. And there were a lot of survivors, some of them from Kosovo as well. I remember it's the one weekend I did not speak because just listening to their stories of horror, of courage, of what they've been through since then is beyond belief. And the fact that, as you said, there's been no real reparation of their sanity, of their space within society, of money. You, I mean, you need to go to psychological therapy to survive this kind of thing. So it was it was truly one of those um, turning points in my life, just listening to these women with all the courage speaking about their survival and what they'd been through. And you, it makes you wonder what kind of world we live in, that people don't think this Thank is you. <laughs> Thank you. Your compassion is very important, Magda. The life of those who have gone through wars and tragedies is much more different than of those who have gone through normal life, you know, who didn't have challenges of liberation. But compassion, understanding, supporting is very important. What is our our mission, especially us who have gone through these uh, tragedies? Our mission is to help others because there are many other sports in the world. Exactly. There conflicts are ongoing, women are uh, oppressed, women are in refugee camps where I hear that they even uh, experience second tragedy in the refugee camps. Exactly. So it's very complex in, in, in the terms of what happens to those who are in war, post-conflict or pre-conflict uh, situation. I think we women should do more. However, in this historic year of important anniversaries of Beijing platform mm-hmm. and the UN Resolution 3025, it's time to change the discourse. Yes. First, women should not be seen as a victims or as a problem of society because they are not a problem. They are solution. They are capacity, half of the energy of human capital, mm. which I would say reasonably, or if you have leadership approach to goals of development and stability, then you have half of energy that you can use strategically for the goals of peace building, development and prosperity. So women should be seen as a uh, added value and mm. not as a victims. And this we have women to change the discourse and come up with our strategies with our values. We should compete 
with our values, plus we have a, a comparative advantage, especially for the peace building, because evidence shows that women, when they are in the table of negotiations, the outcome is more durable, the atmosphere is more peace-oriented. When women are in government, honesty grows, corruption goes down, mm. because women have really proven to be less corrupted, more thinking for uh, common or public good than, yes. than on their personal interest or personal protagonism or power. So these are, for me, comparative advantages of that we have to promote instead of only talking about the issue of this. We have to do all, but this part, I think, is missing. We really have to be in the stage by competing with fighters. And we have. Tell me, Edita, you're one of the newer members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network. Do you think this is a role that the network could play? First, I am glad that uh, I have become part uh, of the Mediterranean Women's Network, of which you are also part. So I hope <laughs> that we will meet in different conferences after we leave this pandemic behind. Yeah. I think it's a very important organization in terms of gathering important professionalism, expertise, and energies of women mm-hmm. for the goal of advancing woman peace and security. security. I think that uh, it's good there is a dress, you know. This, is, this organization is an address where whatever endeavors for peace are required, you have a pool of women mediators mm-hmm. with experience. So it can be the ones who become the important drivers of peace mm-hmm. by helping different mediation processes in all levels and in all sorts of conflicts, pre- preventing the conflict, managing the conflict, and also the post-conflict peace building. Because negotiation is our daily life. We from the morning negotiate. <laughs> Maybe we are not aware, but we do. Yes. But if there is such a body which really has a lot of expertise of women, I think this is good, shows that we are women are being more prepared to give to society, mm. to give to the world, you know. Uh, that's important. Tell me if I had to ask you what your most your strongest quality was. What would you say it is in this context of negotiations, peace, mediation, lobbying? What would you say your strongest quality was? Idealism. I am still idealist after 30 years and (laughs) with a lot of successes for my nation and for myself also in terms of completing a mission that I was giving to myself. Idealism in what sense? In sense of bringing uh, reality to our dreams. Yes. But also giving content to what was achieved. Because uh, the first phase in your dream is that you achieve the dream, but then you have to implement it. So 
you have to give content in our case, in Kosovo case, is giving content to real democracy, functional quality, quality of governance, equal opportunities for all, uh, whether it is gender uh, discrimination or ethnic minorities or any other minorities. This is idealism that drives you to be consistent mm. because in negotiations it's very important to be consistent, to know what are your principles, which becomes your red lines. But within that framework of principles, if you are creative, always it's possible to find solutions. Mm. It's important not to be rigid, and I have never been rigid. I have been only rigid for principles. But within framework of principles, I have been creative. I didn't wait for uh, solutions to be proposed. I've been very always active to propose solutions. And of course, it's courage to propose. Because once you propose solution, it's compromise. It's not your position. <laughs> because positions of the... Parties are just the start of the game of the negotiation. So uh, creativity is to come up with solutions which can be acceptable, hence you make progress towards the final agreement. Tell me, when you were in the peace process in the, the Kosovo, what was your connection to civil society? Well, uh, I was uh, in the top leadership of the movement, so I have gone to negotiations from the political level. And I always say that to have more women in uh, in the peace tables, we need to empower women in politics and decision making. Mm, absolutely. However, at the time, I was uh, keeping in touch with civil society even during the ten years of liberation, and even now, when I was in seven years as a leader or chief negotiator or in in Brussels dialogue on behalf of Kosovo, what was my way of keeping in touch? I was trying through Kosovo NGOs to reach out to certain community okay. and to the areas where Serbian Albanian communities live, especially in the northern part of Kosovo, because that was the part that we reintegrated as it was after the war, somehow Serbia meddling with uh, parallel structures. Okay. So, through the NGOs, although I was very busy in Brussels, once a month, all day, I would spend with grassroots, with people through these NGOs to talk to them. First, to explain what is happening okay. in the dialogue, because usually in media you don't find much, because also of confidentiality of these processes. So I would explain to them and openly talk to them, explain what benefits agreements are bringing to their lives, okay. how it is changing their lives, checking with them if they feel that change, okay. checking with them what, in fact, they think is good and what is not good. So this brought to me very important connection that I could really, in in the processes, uh, try to revise, mm. try to improve, try to not repeat any failure in any other agreement in any other area. Mm. So 
maybe one area I have, have been with some gap. So in the other area, I would not let it happen. I was also looking for gender balance, but I was very limited in that. I can tell you why. First, uh, the process of reintegration of, of Serbs from the northern part into Kosovo system was in a, in a way that who was working in parallel structures had to leave that structures and come to Kosovo structure. So whatever gender balance was in that parallel structures, okay. which we all know is always uh, woman discriminated, that would come, that people would come to, to Kosovo institutions. So it was very limited to intervene. However, when I had chance to intervene with gender balance, I've done it. For example, there were agreements which required some creation of new bodies, uh, say it, it was uh, one for uh, agency for verification of cadastral records that Serbia had to give back to Kosovo. So in that new structure, by legislation, I insisted gender balance to be respected, but also ethnic minorities uh, criteria. Or I tried to include women in implementation part. But in negotiation part, I was against it. Because as chief negotiator, I would, for the certain issue, I would talk to minister and write to minister. Minister was the one who decides to send me the best expert. Okay. So we, by not being much advanced in public administration in Kosovo, so chances to get more women was not high. So it reflected how is the situation of women in public administration. You okay. get chances for that. And I must say, we are good in public administration over 35%, but in the uh, leadership positions as directors of departments, it still is mostly men-dominated. So think, I think that's in this most is a countries. picture of, of situation. I think that's in most countries, that in middle management, you get a high percentage of women. The minute you yeah. go higher up, the percentage of women drops, drops very low. Okay. Is there anything that you are particularly proud of? Two things. First, that I was part of negotiations to end the war, the oppression, genocide in my country. That is Rambuja Conference in 1990. Mm. Serbia didn't sign the agreement, but uh, the Rambuja Conference brought the NATO intervention because Rambuja Conference was used as last resort, yes. diplomatic resort, before uh, the decision to use force to make peace. So it brought NATO intervention. So virtually, my people, after so many hardships and long period, they were liberated and they live in peace since that big, Peace negotiations. Mm. Second, I am also happy, I feel happy that I could reach agreements with former enemy, with Serbia. Now that is a big thing to be, that is a big thing to be proud Why of. Why I am happy and uh, honored? Because after any war, peace comes. There is no endless wars. 
So it's good there is no endless wars. It's good that peace comes one day. And that peace is built with enemy. So this was clear to me, Malta. Okay. And to tell you something important, after the war, I stopped my political uh, life for one year and went to Harvard University. Oh, yes, I saw that on your... To study. The reason was this. I needed my personal transformation. In what sense? I was fighter for freedom. Mm-hmm. I was political fighter, diplomatic, because I was part of peaceful movement. But was I was fighting my psychology, was struggling. Okay. That was my... I, after the after war ended, I was reflecting that now it's not time to struggle. It's time to build. Yes. But you need some time to transform yourself, say it from revolutionary personality <laughs> to peace-building personality. So this one year of doing my master graduate studied as, as studies at John Kennedy School of Government really helped me to transform myself. So, because I believed in peace. And also I was reading a lot about the war and peace Mm -hmm. as we have gone through such a history. So, you have to believe in peace and you have to know that peace comes by negotiating with your enemy. These are premises for you to really contribute for peace and disagreements. I think the one thing you said that resonated with me is that you've got to be very aware of your red lines, the two or three things within your context that are not negotiable. And That's once, true. You, once you're clear with those, then the rest you could work around. Exactly. The red lines are the principles mm. that you should not violate. Yes. But then you should be flexible for, say, it, uh, practical solutions which exactly. do not violate the principles, but uh, can be workable as a solution. Okay. I mean, I've met a lot of uh, uh, women from the NGOs in Kosovo, a lot of respect. There's a women's coalition in the Kosovo, a lot of uh, strong women and creative women in there. But I think you do... uh, Yes, we are very vibrant in in all the spaces, in war and peace times, we really are very vibrant and we are growing also politically in government. In parliament, we even established quota one year after the war, mm-hmm. thanks to our credibility as women uh, leading or being in leadership like me and others. We really could convince our political community of men to support uh, the quota. Yeah, the quota, good. I remember the ladies from... Kosovo told me about a wonderful exhibition they did at a football stadium in Pristina where the woman that had been raped actually hung the, the clothes that they were wearing in yes, the, in the, in the football, football stadium. And I saw photographs that was, it was terrifying and horrifying to think that those were all people that had been raped, but very effective because it's very vibrant. I think so. It was in the year when there was a global campaign Yes, uh, launched for uh, supporting uh, women victims of, of war, sexual violence, rape, and I think it was very good to uh, campaign. It, in fact, this 
exhibition came a year after I did uh, this uh, popular census. Oh, okay. Uh, so, not census, popular uh, petition. Uh, oh, yes, that you spoke of earlier. Which I prepared and that in an electronic version I submitted to the Secretary General of So these have been not uh, coordinated but uh, complementary activities. Okay. I think that's actually, is there anything you want to say before we close? I just would like to express my happiness that we spoke and we saw each other because last time was like a radio interview. <laughs> this is much better. Yes, it is. I am always inspired with a strong woman and I also read your history. I think Cypro should be proud of you. <laughs> and this energy of woman, I like it. Mm. I, I don't know. We may think whether it is because we are from Mediterranean region or what is uh, the factor. But I think we are quite uh, active, courageous and visionary and it's very important. Mm. Yes, I think we are. And I think the, what I want to take away from this interview is that you try to combine civil society with structural change within the peace process, because I think that's the point we need to remember if we want peace to be sustainable. I think so. That's most important, because when you do agreements, you do agreements to improve lives of people. Yes. And if you keep uh, agreements far from people, they will not be able to even understand what is going on. And you as negotiators will not know what they need how they feel, and what should be changed. Exactly. Okay, so that's what we will aim for going forward, continue to aim for going forward. I'm very happy to have had you spoken with you today, Edita. Nice to see you as well. Nice to see you as well, even if it's virtually. And I'm sure we will meet soon, as soon as we these uh, the social isolation and travelling becomes easier. I hope so, and I wish you a good day. Okay. And let's be in touch. Let's be in touch. Thank you. I also would like to send greetings to all women in sight. Okay. Thank you for being on Her Stories and have a lovely rest of the day, Editor. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, please leave comments, suggestions and reviews and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, Yearn Woman, and see you on the next episode.